Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome into 98.7 ESPN, another podcast here with Anita Marks. Hopefully you tuned into my show. Is back on the airwaves live on Saturday from my living room. But uh, these are the days that we live in, right? Um, dealing with this pandemic until all things kind of get back to quote unquote normal, whatever that normal might be. But really excited about this podcast because Roy Firestone is joining us here. And I've known Roy for, gosh, where you and I have known each other. You were on my shows when I was hosting Sports Talk Radio in Miami. Mm-hmm. So I would say that we've known each other for at least 15 years. Oh, boy, probably closer to 20. Right? I, I knew you in Baltimore, Miami, and now, of course, New York for 10 years. So I know. So, I know. I'm so it's- happy for you, too, and it sounds your shows sound great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I feel blessed that uh, it's funny. You know, it's like, um, you know, and, and you and I, just a second ago before we started the podcast, we were talking about our professional careers and uh, you, you had many, a, a variety of different stints at ESPN. I'm with ESPN now, but um, it's, it's interesting, the roller coaster ride that, uh, that this career choice that we have chosen takes us on, isn't it? Well, I, was, I started the very beginning of ESPN before it was what it is now. It was with the Getty Oil Company back in, believe it or not, 1978, 79. That's what, 42 years ago. Hard to believe. Then I moved to USA Network. Then I went to ESPN in 84, and I was there from 84 to uh, 2003, I think, something like that. So I've really been in parts of four different decades, if you can believe it. Most of it at ESPN, too. Yeah, um, it really, really unbelievable. Again, we're really thrilled to have you on this podcast. Thank you, Anita. I appreciate it. The reason I reached out to you was because um, I think the world is uh, is watching and is enamored with the Michael Jordan documentary that ESPN mm-hmm. has now out. Uh, we've seen four episodes of a 10 series, um, right. and it centers around, of course, the 97-98 Bulls. It's called The Last Dance. And first and foremost, before we start diving into that, you know, and, and not to take anything away from ESPN because, uh, you know, Whenever they do any type of documentary, whether it's O.J. Simpson, whatever the case may be, they're 30 for 30s. They do an exceptional job. But I just feel like it just goes to show you, like with all of us and what we're dealing with the pandemic, no Major League Baseball, of course, uh, we should be a few weeks into the start of the baseball season. Mm-hmm. We should be uh, talking about the NBA playoffs. Um, granted, yes, the NFL is moving forward as normal. Of course, we had the draft this weekend, and we're hoping that it will be normal in regard to a regular season. But we are so thirsty and we are so desperate for mm-hmm. any type of sports entertainment that I, I feel that we are embracing this documentary even more so. Agree with that, Roy? Totally agree with it. And, and the ratings are through the roof. Uh, I was reading where uh, one national talk show host said his ratings have doubled on his podcasts. Um, and I know that a lot of the podcasts, and of course, this is a podcast too, podcasts are going through the roof too. People are walking and they put something in their ear. They want to listen to that. And at night, when they want to watch television, the Jordan series, of course, is so compelling. Guy did, uh, Jason Hare is, is the producer, high quality, a lot of nuance, a lot of journalistic uh, merit. I have, believe it or not, not seen the, fir- the segments yet because I've been traveling and doing stuff, not traveling through the in the traditional sense, I've been doing some other things. I do a lot of uh, 
charitable work and stuff. Um, I think the treatment of Michael Jordan, though, in the series has been respectful. It doesn't fawn. It's a compelling story of perhaps the most significant figure, certainly in this past generation, recent generations, and maybe in sports history. If you consider, Anita, the pop culture, the modern marketing, uh, the movies, Space Jam, and the toys and the, and the endorsements. He is possibly the most decorated in terms of the whole package athlete in history. But I will discuss maybe later, is he greater than, say, Muhammad Ali in terms of worldwide appeal? We can debate that in a little bit. But it's a great series. I have not had a chance to see it. I do know last night, as we speak, last night the, um, the segment with uh, Dennis Rodman was on. And, boy, do we have stories there. Uh, but it, it's been an amazing thing to watch because it shows you greatness isn't something in the moment always. Greatness can be in the moment, but all-time greatness has to extend over generations. And the fact that we're still talking about Jordan, you're still getting high ratings. There aren't many players or athletes, maybe Ali could, that could get a 10-part series and keep these kinds of ratings, and Michael Jordan certainly is one. Yeah, I, I definitely I, – I would like to, and, and just to kind of – uh, let the folks out there who are listening to the podcast, uh, just to kind of give you a preview, I do want to dive into the episodes that aired last night and get our thoughts mm-hmm. and, sure. and, and our conversation on Dennis Rodman. I, 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 as you know, grew up in Miami and during that, that the end of the nineties and, and beginning of uh, 2000, I lived on South beach and had several yep. encounters with Dennis Rodman as, <laughs> as well as Carmen Electra, by the way. So, um, so it was really interesting to see her as a part of the documentary. And so I, I, I do want to kind of get into those conversations. Um, and then I do want to talk about Michael Jordan and his decision in doing sure. this documentary, all sure. that encompasses. And then I would like to get into the, the discussion in regard to uh, Michael Jordan, Ali. And, and I know that uh, you have an excellent book that just came out. That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. You can find it on Amazon or on RoyFirestone.com. Right. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that at the end of this podcast, we'll have a number of people that uh, will, will be uh, itching to go get your book. And, and oh, great. Course, I love because, it. Because, uh, it because and what, by the way, other... Rodman and, and Jordan are in the book too, As but also so is Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel. It's not only sports. It's people I've met, interviewed, and had observations about. Uh, it's, it's a pretty wild story. It's my third book. Um, and it's going to come out an audio book too on May 5th. So that's another great thing. It's done very, very well on Amazon. Once, once again, the title is that's what I'm talking about. And we'll talk about obviously the bulls and Jordan and Rodman right now. All right. So, so let's, let's start with uh, last night's, uh, the, the two episodes from last night. And it really centered around Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one of the one things that, that really stood out to me is like his his rough upbringing. I did I was not aware that yeah. his mother kicked him out of the house, and he was yeah. literally living on the back patio furniture of a number of friends. And the importance of not only Chuck Daly, but also Phil Jackson, right? And and, and the mentoring aspect um, of those two had coaches to kind of embrace him for who he was, and to kind of help keep him in check and keep him focused. In, in his ability to contribute, not just to the Bulls, but of course the Detroit Pistons as well. It was a reciprocal arrangement in the sense that basketball sports gave him some kind of function, some kind of structure. As Additionally, Anita, people don't know this, he lived, when I say lived, I mean he slept and lived in an airport for a period of time in Oklahoma. Uh, he was at a Dallas DFW, Dallas airport, I think is where it was actually to be correct. 
And at one time he got picked up for, um, unfortunately, shoplifting at an airport. I mean, he was destined to go to jail. I mean, he was destined to be a troubled guy. And the reason I think he wasn't, I don't think there's any question, not just dogs, but... <laughs> well, I have, so so it's, it's an ongoing thing. I have five dogs, Roy. Okay. Oh, yes. I'm a big dog person. It's okay. So, yeah. So anyway, so this happens. People who listen to the podcast, they know they're just, they're waiting. It's like they're That's waiting fine. for the time that That's the dogs fine. are going to start contributing. So anyway, That's I fine. apologize. That's okay. The point I'm saying is he was a troubled guy way, way back. And he was probably destined to, to go to jail or to be somewhere on the uh, outcast or even maybe a homeless person. Somehow Chuck Daly was one of them. But he had other people, too. Uh, I think uh, Abe Lemons was a coach who, who, who recommended him to Chuck Daly, Abe Lem- the legendary Abe Lemons, uh, and, and Chuck Daly, and then Phil Jackson gave him the shot. And, you know, people tend to forget that he was a dominant player with the Pistons. People remember him as the Bull, but they don't remember he was part of the championship run for the Pistons. You know, obviously one of the greatest rebounders, if not in his generation, the greatest rebounder of all time. Uh, an amazing defensive player, couldn't shoot worth a damn, but, you know, I guess he was passable, barely, but he was a defender and a rebounder. And what he did is he shook people up. He shook his opponents up. They didn't like playing against him. He was obnoxious on the court. He was beyond a trash talker. He would get people out of their games. Ali used to try to do that, too. He would try to get people so furious that they would lose their focus. And Rodman oftentimes... Um, succeeded. People also may forget that he was took the last shot in the Detroit Pistons championship against the Lakers and, and he airballed it and they were furious at him in Detroit because he had no business shooting when you had Isaiah Thomas and Lambert and those guys. Uh, it was the last shot of the game. But when he went to the Bulls, everything changed because of Jordan and Scotty and Horace Grant and Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson, all those guys, because he was part of a team that would allow for his eccentricities and more this he was he eccentric um that's that's an understatement like i said um for a period of time uh, when i was in miami i lived on south beach and uh and of course you know in my uh at that time i was like late 20s early 30s and i would frequent a lot of the clubs down there on south beach during the week the week was really the better time to go more so than the weekend and um and many a times in the off season or whatnot Dennis Rodman would be there and, and, and it was around the time that he was dating Carmen Electra uh-huh. and um, and he had he had a, a good friend of his who 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 managed him and his name was Floyd do you remember uh-huh. Floyd vaguely yeah vaguely. I, used, I used to have to go through him to get the interviews yes. yeah he lived, he lived in like Orange County still I think he still does live in Orange County California so, uh, but he, was, he was a real uh, you know, he was hit and miss because sometimes he wouldn't show up, you know, early on. I mean, Rodman was a real uh, wild ride. He was Mr. Toad's wild ride, you know. He was, he was very wild, but I will say this. In my, in my interactions with him, I found him to be extremely intelligent. Yeah. And I, and I, and I had some of the most interesting conversations with him. Not what I would – because of the persona that, mm-hmm. that he would allude – not you know you go in when when you when you see an individual in regard to you know um how they behave or how they dress or you know how you know what their what their image is mm-hmm. you you walk into a conversation or you walk into a meeting or a conversation assuming 
that this, that this is going to be the personality or this is, this is what you're going to encounter. And I will say from firsthand, it was not, it was, it was a, a surprise. It was different. It was refreshing. It was mm-hmm. interesting. Um, it was compelling. It was, uh, and so I, I really, I, I really shocking don't... is another word I would use. Shocking. shocking. Yes. And, and, and it was, it <laughs> you know, was I, I got, I got, I got to tell you an amazing anecdote and people, you may not know this. You know, I did Jerry Maguire and don't make me cry, Roy, that whole scene. Right. Gary Gooding Jr. The original role was Dennis Rodman. In fact, they took an actual video of me interviewing Rodman when he cried on my show and they replaced Rodman with an actor crying. That set up the Cuba Gooding scene. Rodman was supposed to be Rod Tidwell in that movie. He was offered the job and turned it down. Why? And by the way, Rodman was also in a movie with John Claude Van Damme called Double Team. And that's when, when people saw that Kabuki theater looking gold LeMay outfit he wore last night on ESPN that people might have seen. That was where I, that was where they were promoting that movie, Double Team. And Van Damme came on with him and started talking about him. Um, so Rodman was really out there. He was the most, he was very media savvy. He was, he believed one thing, shock value and outrage value. Very important stuff to him because, and this is before social media really exploded. It was out there, but it was very thin. Now, you know, obviously he'd be one of the most followed people in Twitter or Instagram or any of those things. He'd be on everyone's show now. But Jordan, uh, uh, excuse me, Rodman, I'll get to Jordan in a second, but Rodman in his day was one of the most media savvy people, I think, who has ever lived. He always knew how to press the buttons and how to outrage the people. And, and maybe some people would be furious at him, but they remembered him. So he would get commercials. He'd get all kinds of things out of it because he was unique. Well, two things from last night's episodes that really struck me. Um, number one was when Michael Jordan said that uh, Dennis Rodman was the smartest player he's ever played with. And, and I know, again, I, I know you didn't see it, but there was a, a shot where Dennis was sitting there and, and he was watching a ton of film and taking notes. And, and they really kind of, they, they focused in on his preparation in regard to his opponents, mm-hmm. um, um, helped him with his anticipation in, in how to rebound which I thought was that I thought was really interesting. And then the other thing was I totally forgot Roy Madonna's influence on him. Yeah, of course that was, I don't think people realize Definitely. at that point in time when Dennis Rodman was kind of coming out of his shell and mm-hmm. being him and, mm-hmm. and accepting that being different is okay. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, talk about somebody who was different and it was okay. It was and Madonna. always changing and always changing like Madonna too. And Madonna embraced him. Right. And more than, more than embraced him too, I might add. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but embraced him and made that transformation. Okay. And, yeah. and made it yeah. easier for him. And I totally, I totally forgot about that relationship. It's very true. Uh, in fact, there's another clip that's on the ESPN site. I could say ESPN because this is ESPN. That another interview I did, not the one last night, but a different one. We talked about his intimate relationship with Madonna, which he t- was openly talking about. Here's another thing, Anita. If this had happened, say, in early 70s or late 60s, they just would have thrown him off the team because in those days, if you were an eccentric person, if you were an outrageous person, a guy like Joe Don Looney, that's a name that most only the veteran people out there would remember that name. 
he was a, a real, uh, you know, kind of a, a, you know, march to his own beat, you know, his own, you know, he made his own statements, but he was banished from the league right away, Joe Don Looney. He played for the Giants, among other teams, by the way. But with, 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 with a new era and with the fact that you had Jordan and you had Scotty and you had Grant and you had Kerr, you had room for people who could take the attention away from Jordan and Scotty. And people forget that too. I could tell you this, that I know that Michael wasn't thrilled with Rodman. And, you know, there was, I think apparently in a moment he grabbed him by the nose ring and pulled him or something like that. But he may not have liked his style or liked his distraction, but I think it got some of the attention away from Jordan and the crush of media. I know I, I interviewed Rodman at least a dozen times. It, it took some of the heat away from Jordan of always having to be available. But he also, and you mentioned this earlier, and this is very important, he was a scientist, I'm talking about Rodman, when it came to rebounding. He had a ge- geometric formula of where to stand when the ball was at such and such a place. He measured it out. He was a student of the game of rebounding because he knew he wasn't a good enough shooter to make his mark in the game. And he was also a tenacious defender. He was, I would say, well, he won Defensive Player of the Year. And that's one of the first time I, we ever saw him cry when he won the Defensive Player of the Year and he got a, a, an award, started weeping. But he would do that regularly. He wept on my show a couple of times. He was a very strange bird, still is. But uh, I would say that Rodman was a guy who started getting it. He sort of got what it took to be uh, this this iconoclastic figure in sports and he, and he dressed up for it. He'd wear costumes. If, like the one that you saw last night was like the Kabuki Theater. But I also <laughs> saw him, you know, do a press conference in a wedding dress. I've seen him change his hair color, I don't know, 10 different times. Don't forget he was on the Spurs, too. He did all kinds of things, wacky things, where he, he would drive David Robinson nuts and Avery Johnson nuts because of the hair, because of the jewelry, because of the no-shows. But, boy, come game time, if he was in the game, he was a factor because of the rebounding and the defense. You know, you, you mentioned the relationship between him and Michael Jordan, Roy. Uh, probably one of the highlights from last night was uh, Jordan telling the story how Phil Jackson called him into his office one day and Dennis was in there and Phil said, Dennis needs a break. He knows he needs to go to Vegas for 24 right. to 42 hours. <laughs> and, and, and Michael says, you let him go to Vegas, he's not going to come back. And sure enough, 24 hours turned into over 72 hours. Right. And, and I remember Jordan, that. And Jordan flew to Las Vegas to go knock on his door and bring him back. Yeah, that, was probably, he, that, that was probably one of the highlights from, from the documentary last night. Well, it, it's important to remember that the series obviously is about Michael Jordan, but you cannot talk Jordan without talking Rodman because for a lot of reasons, and some of it has to do with, you know, the, again, the rebounds of the defense. Could they have been as good without Rodman? I don't think so. Would they have still won titles? Yes. I don't think that they would have won, you know, two three-peats that the Bulls had. Um, but, you know, there are certain elements to a team that are very, very important. And I, and certainly Rodman was, you know, extremely important to that, the, that Bulls team and the makeup but there was some, you know, downsides to it too. You had to put up with a lot, and one of them was going to that Vegas and going on that crazy, crazy bender with Carmen Electra. I might add. 
Right. Wow. Um, Roy, another big part of the episode last night, uh, and they really focused in on the Detroit Pistons. And as we know them from that era, the bad boys with Isaiah Thomas. Um, and, and one of the, the biggest storylines was when they walked off the court yeah. and would not shake the right. hands. I remember it well. Of, of Michael Jordan, the Bulls when, when they had won, which of course took them quite a few years to do. Uh, your your thoughts on that time and and when that happened? I, I mean, if that was to happen, so I'm just going to use this as an example. If that was to happen today, and let's say that's LeBron James in the Lakers walking off the court and not shaking the hand of, mm-hmm. I don't know, the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry, yeah. like all hell would break loose. LeBron would never live that down, right? Like, like so, kind of take us back to that that time well, and when that happened. Go, you have to go even earlier than that. Because there was another slight, which Isaiah Thomas engineered. It was during an all-star game where Isaiah refused, you know, he had an inside uh, agreement with some of his other teammates not to pass the ball to Jordan. And Jordan remembered that. And he, to this day, never forgave Isaiah Thomas. He doesn't like Isaiah Thomas to this day. So if you go back, I think it was right away, maybe 85, 86, well before the, the Pistons and the, and the Bulls got into it, and the and the Pistons uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, just disrespected. I guess is the phrase that you, people might want to use by not shaking hands. A little silly, but uh, I don't think Jordan ever forgot any of that stuff. And you know, he was one of the reasons that Isaiah was not allowed to be a member of the Olympic team. I believe that. I think to this day, Jordan, you know, he holds grudges for better or for worse. Whatever you think of people who hold grudges, he does. He he has a long memory. And, you know, it's been 30-something years, so you'd think he could let go. I don't think he ever forgave Isaiah and Lambeer and those guys in, for not shaking the hand. But you've got to go back to the, the Olympic uh, – I mean, the, the, the All-Star game um, freeze-out. They froze out Jordan, and Jordan never forgot it. What was the reason, Roy? Why? I think it was jealousy. Jealousy? He saw this young kid – this Michael Jordan kid, you know, he was drafted in 84. He was Air Jordan. He got the shoe deals. I mean, you saw Magic Johnson was getting 100000 Larry Bird was getting 100000 from Converse. Jordan's getting a million. And there was, I think, you know, people don't talk about Magic, but Magic was part of that freeze-out too. Isaiah engineered it, but Magic was part of it. And I think it took a while for Magic and Jordan to to, to you know, be okay. By the way, as I'm speaking to you, there's a picture over my shoulder, which I'll share on the video podcast of Michael and magic shaking hands and hugging or high-fiving during the Olympics. You can see I'm pointing to it right there. Um, that took a while to, to, to get to that point because I think Jordan was wary of even magic and they, they end up becoming friends. And I, you know, obviously uh, I think Kobe Bryant, the late great Kobe Bryant, it's hard to even say that. I know. Right. I, I think he, looked at Jordan as as the, the very most important figure in his athletic career to such a point, Anita, that he actually acquired his speaking voice. If you listen to Kobe's speaking voice on any interviews and then you listen to Jordan, they sound the same. Everything that Jordan did, Kobe wanted to emulate, including his voice. He studied hours and hours and hours of film. He was the Jordanologist, if you want to call it that. But getting back to the, the, what you were saying about, about the Pistons, uh, that kind of disrespect did not sit well with Jordan. And, of course, 
Jordan just took it out on the Pistons. And I think he had more fun and more pleasure beating the Pistons and then later the Lakers than any other teams. No, I think he alluded to that in the documentary last night, that, that the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling and the experience and the joy of beating the Pistons yep. was just as, as strong, if not even more than winning a championship. Sure. Um, uh, Roy, let, let's let's look big picture here, and sure. you know there's there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of talk in regard to why now, why why finally because Michael Michael had to okay this this documentary right. with ESPN, right. and there's a lot of talk in, in in regard to why now, and many people feel it's because LeBron James and now joining the Lakers, mm-hmm. um, and uh, compiling yet another team. Um, I call it gaming the system when it comes to LeBron Jordan, uh, LeBron James, but mm-hmm. you know, possibly getting closer to winning as many championships. And, and of course the discussion then continues and continues. Who's the greatest of all time. And I think as the millennial generation gets older and, and, and I, I think this documentary is great. And, and I'm hoping that there's a lot of millennials who are watching because you know, that, that did not have the blessing of being an NBA fan during Mm -hmm. this, during the Jordan era, realizing the difference, seeing what Jordan was, was all about. And then, and then possibly making a fair assessment in regard to Jordan LeBron. Do you feel that this is a reason why Michael Jordan decided to do this? This documentary is because he hears and he sees LeBron James on his greatest of all time, I think it. I think it could be a factor, but let me also tell you a couple other things. First of all, he, there's rumors that he owns the show. He does not own the show, but he has tremendous influence on the show. I'm talking about Michael Jordan himself. He was. It's part of the deal. There were a hundred interviews, one hundred interviews for this. For this, including every you know, President Obama and President Clinton, as you know. But part of the agreement was he could. He would be asked to come comment on what other people were saying. So he didn't do it in blind. He wasn't blind. In other words, if somebody said something controversial, he needed to hear it so he could respond. They went back to Michael Jordan three and four times for interviews because he insisted that he gets his say on what really happened in his mind. Uh, as far as LeBron is concerned, sure. But, I, you know, as compelling and as powerful and as amazing as LeBron James is, and he is truly one of the, you know, transcendental NBA players, I think among the greatest who will ever live. And when the, when the smoke clears, he's going to be right there with Jordan. He'll, he's got, I don't know, four titles, five titles. I don't know the number in front of me. But, you know, Jordan has six NBA titles 10 scoring titles, five MVP awards, 10 all NBA first team. He averaged 33.4. That's still the for a season per game. Um, those are still numbers that LeBron hasn't accomplished yet. I think LeBron will get close. Do I think that Jordan's going, wow, I, I, I'm worried about LeBron? I don't think he worries about the legacy, but he knows that he still has the greatness. In some ways, I don't think LeBron could carry 10, 10 part series. I just don't. And I have tremendous respect for LeBron, and I think he's a very compelling athlete. But do you see 10 parts for a LeBron series? I don't. And I think there are people who will always look at Michael Jordan in the same lines as Muhammad Ali, in a global figure. Not that, Jordan, not that LeBron isn't somewhat of a global figure, because he certainly is, especially in China. But I think when you look at Jordan, 
with Space Jam and with Nike and Be Like Mike and Air Jordan and, you know, his airness and MJ and all those different things. This is the Michael Jackson, okay, of our generation of sports, whereas LeBron, look, what can I think of? Maybe a Taylor Swift. I don't know. Uh, I don't mean to in any way diss LeBron, but – I think my, this. I think MJ and MJ, Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson, were more along the same lines in terms of the cra- crazy adulation. I remember hearing stories of the Olympics when he played at the Olympics. They would have to have twelve man security for Michael Jordan at the hotel. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. People would be hanging on the landing gear of helicopters to get a shot of Michael Jordan playing on a golf course as the helicopter flew. It was crazy. So it was, it was a little bit of Elvis, a little bit of Michael Jackson, but Michael Jordan was the closest that we would ever see. Now I want to bring up one other point and we can do the give and take here. Was he more an important figure globally athletically than Muhammad Ali? I don't think so. Now people may disagree with me, Yes, he, he was, he gave all the numbers just now. He was, he's certainly definitely considered to be one, two, the greatest player who ever lived in the NBA. But when you talk about the greatest, and in this case, Muhammad Ali, you're talking about a person who changed people's lives, who empowered the powerless, who made, who gave voice to the voiceless. He was a figure that, that transcended America and he, he, he was a world figure. I don't think that Jordan quite reaches that level. It's close, but I don't, because Michael Jordan didn't care necessarily about his stand on the war. You never heard Michael Jordan give his point of view politically, and some criticized him for that. But in terms of greatness, in terms of the global greatness and the impact, the greatest athlete I ever covered, and it's close, but I would say it's Muhammad Ali over Michael Jordan. I don't know if you agree. Interesting. Uh, so, so for me, my experience with Muhammad Ali, I was, I was really, I was a lot, I was very, I was too young, you know, during, you right. know, rain, exactly. the right. But I, I have several, on several occasions, many, many events that I've covered and hosted, I've met Ali, you know, I, and when I look back on his career, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Roy, and that was the era in regard to where our, where our world was at. Mm-hmm. And where society was at and mm-hmm. what Muhammad Ali represented in regard to the struggles that were going on, whether it was in the African-American community, whether it right. was um, civil rights, whether it was the war, whatever the case may be. That he, he, he transcended sports because right. everything he represents, represented in the turmoil we were facing, not just the United States, but the world, where looking back on Michael Jordan, I just, I just, I, I don't ever remember an athlete that had so much power in changing the way that we lived our lives. Mm-hmm. I never saw more basketball hoops on somebody's front yard Correct. than when Michael Jordan played. Yeah, you're not going to have boxing rings on people's no. front lawn. It's not we, the same thing. We all wanted to be like Mike. Right. Right? Like, like, like it was watching Michael Jordan it was appointment television. Right. And I don't remember like, like, you know, and, and not to go back and compare LeBron James, but I, I am here. I, I just, I feel like there's such a large portion of society that is against LeBron James mm-hmm. and his because success. Of Jordan, you think because of Jordan? 
I personally think it's because of the way that LeBron has gone about it. Like, for example, right. like, so, so LeBron James is winning all these championships because he's compiling all these super teams. Where when I look at, when I look at Michael Jordan and, and especially now after four episodes in and it's a reminder to me, I look at Michael Jordan and not to take anything away from Scottie Pippen and, and we were just talking about Dennis Rodman and those three and how crucial that threesome was in regard to the winning, but I still look at Michael Jordan. I look at the, the the Bulls as winning because of how competitive he was. I look at him as the most competitive athlete I've ever covered, I've ever witnessed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And not to say that LeBron's not competitive, right? but I look at LeBron's success based on the teams that he's been able to compile. It's part of the human condition to want to compare greatness with greatness. It's just, and that's part of what sports is all about too. Who was the better player? Was Babe Ruth the greatest player? By the way, Ted Williams said that Babe Ruth was the greatest player of all time in baseball. And that was in, well into the nineties when I interviewed Ted, you saw them all. Um, I think it's, it's normal for us to try to compare. And I think it becomes an exercise that, Sports fans have, have come, come close to, re, you know, expecting really every year you're comparing this guy and this guy. Uh, I mean, LeBron is truly in the top five of the greatest players of all time. I think he's going to be in the top three when it's all over. Jordan, you can argue, is number one. I would also say that he's not the greatest winning basketball player of all time. That's Bill Russell, who had 11 titles. 11 titles, including six, get this, six in a row. Now, there were nine teams in the NBA back then, but still to win six titles, it's incredible in a row and 11 overall. That's the most, that's the winningest NBA player of all time without question. Do I even think that you could make an argument that Kareem, in terms of college and pro, isn't the greatest basketball player of all time? I think you can. But in terms of the NBA, in terms of, again, marketing and media and his own athletic greatness. He was an athletic genius, Michael Jordan. You see some of these incredible plays with the reversing the hands and the the slams and all this other stuff. He was electrifying, but I don't think you, you, Kareem was very far from him in terms of, in terms of dominance and terms of greatness, both college and pro, if you put the two together. Um, And then, as I said, Bill Russell, 11 titles. That's the winningest NBA coach. But Jordan is the most electrifying player, I believe, in NBA history. And we're not even getting into Wilt. Wilt Chamberlain is a guy who could have been easily regarded as the most talked about NBA player of all time. Wilt Chamberlain before Jordan. So, Roy, just just to look ahead, um, again, we're four episodes in. We have six mm-hmm. more to go. And, <laughs> you, know, you know, obviously we're going to get into the dream team. We're going to get into, uh, you know, the the Utah Jazz, Carl Malone and John Stockton against the Bulls. Can't wait mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get into uh, his father passing. Yeah. We're, going to, we're going to get into the Washington Wizards. Mm-hmm. We're also, from what I understand, uh, there's going to be a lot in, in regard to Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant's mm-hmm. comments. I mean, I think that's going to be very difficult for a number of us to watch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as well. What What is what, – what is, uh, looking ahead in regard to all the storylines that ESPN is about to um, dive into, what is the one that you are most looking forward to in the next six episodes? Because of the proximity, I want to hear about Kobe and Michael. I, I wonder if they did updated interviews because, you know, Kobe just passed away in January. I'm sure the series was more or less finished 
I'm wondering if they, they updated and interviewed Michael again about, because you saw how emotional Michael was at the memorial. We all saw Michael for the first time show tears. I don't think we have ever seen that before in public. Um, I think that's going to be very interesting, poignant, um, very telling. Um, because Michael was never get, uh, considered a sentimental guy or an emotional guy, at least publicly. Now, there's a picture here that I have. I'm going to see if I have it somewhere. Oh, yeah, here it is. I'm going to show it to the camera. Maybe I'll mail it to you later. This is a shot of, of Michael weeping after winning the title. And his father, by the way, is right behind him. Can you see that? I don't know. I can. I can. I'll drop, I'll drop it for you uh, so you can drop it into the show. That's the time I saw Michael emotional. But I think the most emotional thing is losing Kobe Bryant, who was like a little brother to him. And as I said before, the one thing that Kobe wished he could have had is the six titles. He had five. Um, but th- I think that's the player who most tried to emulate Jordan of all the players in the history of this game uh, since Jordan came in. Um, I think that's compelling to me. I'd also like to see what happened um, after that one year of suspension and then going to baseball, which was kind of an interesting thing too. People have speculated, was he suspended? Did he just retire? Was it a gambling thing? People, I've, I've, everyone's got their own opinions, conspiracy theorists. Oh, the NBA wanted to keep it quiet, but they quietly suspended him for a year. I don't know that that's ever really been proven, but you know, he had some gambling ties to some people who were pretty seedy. And so he took a year off and then he started playing baseball. I mean, if you, if you, if you think about it, Jordan staying healthy, if he stayed healthy, didn't go to baseball, didn't have the suspension. You were looking at maybe eight, maybe nine NBA titles. Uh, and by the time he came back, he was never really the same kind of player again. Of course, age caught up with him too. Can you believe he's 57 years old? Now, where did the time go? Unbelievable, it's incredible right? if you I think know. about it. I know. But, but I, I, all, all of it is interesting. I'll catch up with the series. I'll binge watch it like I do with Homeland. You know, I'll binge, binge watch the series. Uh, I think it, it's a great series, though, and I, it's getting tremendous ratings. But you have to have subjects for which to talk about, and that is a subject that will never, ever be dull. People will always want to talk about Michael Jordan. One, th- I'd like to end on this. Um, there, there were quite a few uh, quotes that um, resonate and, and I think are really, really special in this documentary. One was James Worthy, when he was his teammate at UNC, said mm-hmm. that um, when Jordan came on the team, he was better than me for about, I was better than him for about two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I love, well, I love when Worthy said that. And then, and then um, of course, when he went to UNC and he, he had, uh, he had said that no one will ever work harder than him. And, and that's, that's true. But probably the one quote that stands out to me the best is Larry Bird's quote. When Jordan put up 63 points, um, against Boston on their court. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry Bird said, that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was, that was, that was God. Yeah. Disguised as Michael Jordan. <laughs> that that Michael Jordan. So a couple, I, of, a, a couple, a couple of thoughts about that. By the way, I had Michael Jordan on when he was 19 years old. Okay. He had not been in the NBA yet. He had just won the jump, just won the wooden award. And we interviewed him and he, you know, that he did not start in his high school team and he was relieved that he was cut from his high school team, Willis, North Carolina. And he talked about his first dunk, which was kind of funny. It was like his first love, you know, he was talking about, Oh, I'll never forget her. It was like, <laughs> it was like a first girlfriend or a first kiss. 
But he talked about his first dunk. It, they may use that. I don't know. But he was 19 years old and he came on the show. Probably had him on a dozen times over the years. Uh, and also, by the way, not really the most revealing interview. From Frankly, people always assume that it's my best interview or my favorite interview. And I appreciate people saying that. But he far he was far from that. He was kind of wary of the public, not unlike a J- Derek Jeter. He didn't give you that much. Now, later on, he would. But he wasn't that accessible. That wasn't like a Charles Barkley or even a LeBron where, you know, every night there was another interview. Uh, Michael was, was very protective. And sadly and tragically, he would not have lost his father in that way were his father not wearing the rings, where he was murdered while he was asleep, um, and they stole his ring and they dumped his father's body. I think that deeply affected Michael, as it would anyone, of course, but you talk about fame and celebrity and greatness. There is a cost to that, too. Michael Jordan's father, by any, by any standard, would still probably be alive if he, Michael Jordan was, was not Michael Jordan. and didn't have the rings to give out and the gold and all the other things to give his father. And I think it, de- it really completely decimated Michael Jordan for a good full year where he could never really – look back at, at the game and, and with the same kind of level of joy because of that tremendous, vast loss he went through. It's, uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's been a really enjoyable, intriguing four episodes. And I still yeah. look forward to uh, the remaining six and Roy, thank you so much for joining us. He is Roy Firestone. He's got a fantastic book that's just out. That's what I'm talking about. You can find it on Amazon as well as RoyFirestone.com. Any final thoughts? Before yeah, if people want me to sign the book, if people want me to sign the book, just go to RoyFirestone.com. I can't, I can't sign it on Amazon because they do their own thing. Um, but it's also coming out in audiobook May 5th. Um, I love corresponding with people if they want to send a little note to me on RoyFirestone.com. I'm happy to do it. But I've enjoyed it. And the, the other thing I would say, and this is self-serving, I, I know how, how it's going to sound, but I sure would love to have my shows rerun on ESPN, not just Rodman, not just Jordan, but, you know, my shows with Lyle Alzado, who was dying of cancer, talking about steroids, and my shows with Wilt and my shows with Barkley. Is it self-serving? Sure it is. But I, I'm getting a lot of people saying, we wish you, your show were back on the air. And, I open the door to, to ESPN. I say that with a, with a wink and a smile, but I'd sure love to see my shows back on there. And I think people would watch them because of nothing else to do, A, and B, uh, I think it's good to look back and look back at the history of sports and, and some of the interviews that I, that I brought for. I would love to see that as well, Roy. Thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate your time. Here Thank you 90- again, Anita. You I got it. it. Here on 98.7 ESPN.